Welcome. Church of the Advent is an Anglican congregation in Denver, Colorado, that seeks to share in the life of God by redefining and reorienting everything around the gospel of Jesus Christ. We hope you are challenged, encouraged, and move closer toward the gospel by this week's message. Way back in my early 30s, not the 1930s, my early 30s, I served as a professor and chairman of the theater department at Colorado Christian University. I loved that job. I still treasure the memory of how many opportunities we had to bring together our love for the arts and our love for Jesus. But then one year, I stepped into dangerous territory. I crossed a line. I taught dramatic theory and criticism. The line I crossed was from the right creative side of my brain to the left analytical side. And my left brain is mostly uncharted territory and therefore dangerous. I actually picked up Aristotle's poetics and used it like a literary scalpel to lay bare and expose the innermost secrets of some of Western civilization's greatest plays. Plot. Character theme, spectacle, all these things. I taught others to do the same, and I made it fun. But in retrospect, I think I did the playwrights a disservice. Those scripts were meant to be performed live. A botanist can take a flower and snip it up into its component parts. She can label them as petals, pistil, stamen, stem, leaf, and root. But does she understand a flower in the same way as those who read William Wordsworth's daffodils? Sometimes a scientific methodology, an analytical approach is the best way to go. And sometimes another creative path is more helpful. This is true even as we read, mark, and inwardly digest the word of God. I'm all for rigorous theological examination of Paul's epistles. But sometimes, as with the narratives and especially with our Lord's parables, a more intuitive approach can reveal unexpected treasures. Like a play, a flower, or a poem, a story is best appreciated while it's still alive. Jesus is the goat of storytellers. I had to look up what goat was. It stands for greatest of all time. It's a sports reference. (laughs) Elsa's going, oh my God. (laughs) Even his biography is the greatest story ever told. He is the author of our salvation. Jesus' storytelling skills are so amazing, the Apostle John gave him a fitting rapper-style nickname, The Word. (laughs) Jesus told his parables in such a way that everyone regardless of education or social status, could get something out of them. Short and pithy, vivid imagery, compelling and sympathetic characters, surprise twists at the end. What's not to love? Audiences found them hilariously funny or shocking, sometimes confounding and often outrageous. And unlike Aesop's fables, he seldom tacked a moral on the end like a nice tidy bow. Instead, he left the listener to ponder. By doing so, 
He awakened his hearers' religious imagination, opening hearts and minds to the mysteries of a kingdom that is not of this world. He invited his listeners to relate to a God whose priorities and actions are alien and nearly inconceivable to those of us in the fallen world, except through the art of poetry and storytelling. And he challenged us to live our lives in this world differently. Then, the 17th century Age of Enlightenment, the rediscovery of Aristotelian empiricism, and the dawn of scientific reason found its way into the seminaries. And ever since, evangelical preachers have sought to explain the mystery of faith in reasonable and rational and abstract terms. While I admire and appreciate from afar (laughs) the left-brain approach to Christian theology, that's not my area of strength. I'm more at home in the wild realms of mystery, the sublime, and the ineffable. And so I love preaching on the narrative passages most, and especially our Lord's parables. Given a chance, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus can still get our hearts racing 2,000 years after Jesus first told it. Today, I'd like to unpin this parable from the dissecting tray and breathe some life back into it. I'm going to speculate on some of the reactions that regular, not particularly religious people in those days, and even today, might have had while hearing it for the first time. I'll be using my own style of theological reflection, which is a lot more rambunctious than Lectio Divina. Let me just say that I don't intentionally try to offend people. If this hyperbolic and dramatic approach pushes your buttons, please forgive me. I'm doing the best I can, and I mean no harm. And besides, getting upset by something you, by hearing something that you know is wrong, and pretty much everything you're about to hear is wrong, can actually be more fun than being bored, and it can actually boost your faith. Watch what happens. Here we go. The parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Well, not just yet. (laughs) I suppose some context is needed. Jesus took a Jewish folktale about a rich man and a poor man trading places and flipped it. The coming of the Messiah turns the world not upside down, but right side up. Jesus wasn't using this parable to make a doctrinal statement about the afterlife. So you analytical types out there, you're not going to get much to work with here. It's more about reminding us that God values people more than possessions or position. Jesus urges us to cultivate compassion for the haves and the have-nots amongst us. Plus, it has dogs in it, and I love stories about dogs. (laughs) Who doesn't? right? There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. Ah, he must be the hero of the story. Everyone knows God blesses the ones he likes best. Oh, I wish I was rich. Then I'd be happy. I'll bet this guy has a gigantic yacht on the Dead Sea. He probably flies a private jet. Maybe someday he'll even build a rocket ship and go up into space. What a view looking down on us peons. I wish I could be that guy. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, 
covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. Okay, that's just gross. It's hard enough to look upon people like that, much less take a whiff of them. And what's his problem anyway? Did he think that he could party like a college student or a a prodigal son forever without it finally catching up to him? Grow up. Addicts need to just say no to drugs and alcohol. Why should I give beggars like that anything? They're just lazy. Or worse, professional panhandlers. I pay my temple taxes. The money's supposed to help the widows. It got really quiet here all of a sudden, right? Uh, I pay, uh, and that, those taxes are supposed to pay for widows and orphans, the destitute, and the sojourners. Isn't that enough? Lazarus should do his dumpster diving for leftovers in a less exclusive neighborhood. His kind don't belong in Mary and Martha's vineyard. And that hygiene... Yuck! Would it kill him to clean up just a little? Grunge went out of fashion in the 90s, for Pete's sake. And those sores looks an awful lot like donkey pox to me. I've heard that dogs licking wounds is actually their way of trying to heal someone. Did I mention that I like dogs? More than people, sometimes. Maybe most of the time. Oh, wait, I'm I'm losing the thread. What's that Rabbi Jesus saying? The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. Well, the beggar dying, that's no big loss. He won't be missed. And no mention of him being buried. Maybe someone just pushed him into a ditch and let the buzzards and the jackals do their thing. But wait, angels took him to be with Father Abraham? That doesn't make any sense. What's going on here? He was a nothing. What good did he ever do for anyone? How does a nobody like that get to go be with Father Abraham? Maybe he won some kind of a lottery? And then the billionaire died. And to make matters worse, Jesus says he is in Hades where he was being tormented. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. Stop right there. The rich man went to Hades? I don't get it. He was rich. That's not how it works. And he's suffering torment, flames and stuff? There must be some mistake. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. Now I see why the beggar was at the side of Father Abraham. He finally got a decent job. He was a waiter. Being a servant, it's pretty low on the ladder, but it's an honest profession. So now the beggar, what was his name again? Eh, It doesn't matter. He's going to go help the billionaire. He's going to figure out a way to smuggle the rich man out of Hades, and the beggar won't want any payment. He knows his place. He's just happy to serve his betters. And then Abraham will explain that the whole Hades thing was some kind of a a clerical error or a test or, or something. And the rich guy will take his rightful place in heaven. And then the beggar can serve them both. Now that's what I call a happy ending. It should definitely be made into a movie with Eddie Murphy as the beggar and 
George Clooney as the billionaire, and some British actor with a lot of gravitas, maybe Ian McKellen to play Father Abraham. I would go see that movie. So would you. But Abraham said, child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus, in like manner, evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to here. I don't understand. He has to stay in Hades? No rescue? No loophole? No last-minute reversal? That's not how this kind of a story is supposed to end. Why is he being punished? What did he do wrong? Wealthy people are supposed to live happily ever after. This is crazy. Something's very wrong here. The story's gotten really dark all of a sudden. I don't like it. The rabbi's not done yet. There must be more. Maybe it'll make a little more sense when he wraps it up. He said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have four brothers, that I may warn them, so that they will not also come into this place of torment. I get it. This is a cautionary tale. The billionaire's making a noble sacrifice, turning his tragedy into another's triumph. It's his innate aristocratic superiority shining through, saving the brothers from his own fate. Like, it is a far, far better thing I do than I have ever done. Or like Jacob Marley going to visit Ebenezer Scrooge to save him from, well, you know, that totally works. Okay, I like this story again. Bring us home, Rabbi. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. The end. That's it. It ends with a great big nope. No moral to the story. Everybody but the beggar goes to Hades, and for what? For not showing compassion? For refusing to give charity to the poor? Billionaires have people for that. And the rest of us have a hard enough time making ends meet. Inflation just went up an inch, in case you hadn't heard. Oh, now I get it. These billionaire brothers' hearts were allegedly hardened against Moses and the prophets. But that's not their fault. We keep hearing the same boring message over and over again in the synagogue. Maybe they just weren't being fed. And don't get me started on the hypocrites. After a while, you just fulfill your obligations and tune out the rest. Is that so bad? What if someone really did rise from the dead? That would get my attention. I'd be so scared, I'd be repenting of things I'd only thought about doing. Then again, I suppose it actually depends on who came back from the dead and what kind of shape they were in. Because I'm not taking advice from any zombie, which is sort of what Lazarus looked like even before he died. Or a vampire? 
And what other kind of living dead is there? What sort of heaven doesn't care how rich you are and lets just anyone in? I am so confused. If it's not based on how successful you are in this world, then what are the rules? How does it work? And now, after hearing this, what am I supposed to do when I see panhandlers at every traffic signal? Stupid story. I can't stop thinking about it. Like when a song gets stuck in your head, what do they call that, an earworm? I'm not going to get much sleep tonight. I just know it. Thanks a lot, Jesus. Thanks a lot. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. We encourage you to take a moment to reflect on what God might be saying to you through what you just heard. For questions, additional information, and resources, please visit adventdenver.com.